Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hey there, listener. Zach here. We are not tackling the topic of playing to your outs today. That is being bumped to another time later to be determined. But today, I am so excited to dive into this interview with Roseville Vault Tour winner June, who piloted her deck Becky to victory at said Vault Tour. Before we get going, uh, there are some critical moments from June's play at Roseville that will be linked in the description from the Tabletop Royale stream on their YouTube there. Some really amazing stuff that's going to give you some more context for some of the moves we talk about that June's deck Becky can do. And of course, in winning Vault Tour Roseville, June won an invite to the World Championships, which she will be attending. Now, if you are a competitive strategic thinker, you might think, well, the element of surprise is always good at these things. So if June is planning on playing Becky, why would June talk about Becky at length on a podcast just two and a half months before Worlds? Well, I'm going to read a quick quote from June that in talking with June ahead, checking uh, June's comfort level with talking about Becky ahead of the World Championship, uh, June said this. Honestly, I would rather people start looking at their decks like I look at Becky and push the state of the game forward than win worlds. So let's do it. That is the kind of Keyforge player that June is. And I'll just tell you now a little spoiler. That's an indicator that you're going to get a whole lot from us diving deep into kind of a deck tech on uh, Becky, June's deck. And then we dive a lot into what lessons June has taken from practicing Becky and getting better and how you and me can apply that to our own game plan. Let's get sweaty. Welcome to Keyforge Public Radio with your host, Zach Armstrong. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keyforge Public Radio. I am your host, Zach Armstrong. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and remember to subscribe on your listening platform that you're on if you haven't already, because uh, if you weren't subscribed, you weren't going to see this awesome episode when it dropped, because today we have a very special guest. Our guest today won Vault Tour Roseville just a few short weeks ago. This is June, uh, pronouns she, her, known online as future self and june one vault tour roseville with her deck becky axel gentraflow known as uh, becky for short and if you do a lot of listening to help from future self a podcast run by my dear friends blake and sydney a uh, june guested there recently to talk about her experience at vault tour roseville and consider that a prequel to this episode and cue it up if you haven't already because we're going to talk about june and becky and this deck and pilot build my case that keyforge is a better Yu-Gi-Oh card game than Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> Welcome to the show, June. Hi, Zach. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Of course. Thank you uh, so much for coming on. I'm excited to talk about uh, talk about Becky and uh, your episode over on Help from Future Self with Blake and Sydney was lovely. Um, and I immediately said, okay, well, now, now, I, <laughs> now I need to have June on over here to talk <laughs> even more about Becky. Uh, even more about Becky. So I appreciate your uh, willingness to jump on and talk about this this uh, awesome deck and your experience with it. Oh, yeah. I think it's a great idea. My episode of Help from Future Self was like uh, 
fun and amazing, but also like sprawling. And <laughs> we talked about everything <laughs> under the sun. It was great. Um, oh, yes. It's very good. Very yeah. good episode. Uh, so Becky, Becky is is uh, the deck you've just won a vault tour with, which is really exciting. So we're going to introduce we're going to introduce uh, the listeners to Becky. Becky is a mass mutation deck, shadows, logos, and star alliance. And June, what are some of the first things our listeners might notice looking at Becky's deck list? Um, the first thing I always get is uh, people are like, "Oh, triple Cronus, nice." Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <laughs> now, if you're looking on like decks of Keyforge or the Master Vault, you'll see that one of those Cronus has uh, two drop hips on it which is a huge boon just like instant payoff you know mm-hmm. um, means you always have that those draws when you need them other things you'll notice are that uh, other people notice the borrow um, tends to mm-hmm. sort of like mess with a lot of game plans especially once you start accelerating a deck so that you're playing the cards multiple times having one borrow means that like suddenly their entire artifact game plan is at, is at risk. <laughs> right, right, because you keep keep repeating that card. Yeah. Um, for anybody who might have joined since Mass Mutation, uh, Cronus is a three-power mutant, and it enhances two drop hips into the deck. I'm sure you've seen those in Winds of Exchange. And the text on it, pretty simple but very powerful. It says, after you resolve a draw card bonus icon, you may archive a card and so having a draw card bonus icon or multiple uh land on cronus itself is pretty huge because you're playing cronus that passive text is in effect already and so you get to draw and then archive after you resolve uh resolve that bonus icon so having three cronus in the deck one that's already enhanced and then a bunch of other draw enhancements in the deck means you're going to be archiving a lot with becky mm-hmm. and borrow is uh, another card from mass mutations says shadows action allows you to steal an artifact and makes it a shadows artifact. So since you're stealing a ready (laughs) artifact, usually it's ready and in the house you're in. So you tend to be able to use them too. It's uh, highly impactful. Um, I'd say the last. That's just, that's just, uh, I was just going to borrow is just so strong. (laughs) There was, there's an old Codas, an old Coda card called Snacklifter that was like a little more balanced because it said steal an enemy artifact if it doesn't belong to one of the three houses on your identity card, move it to shadows, which is like already a good boon to make sure it's usable in your deck. But Borrow was like, no, we don't care if it's in your other houses. Just go ahead and make it shadow so you can use it right now. Like it's, it's so good. It's so good. Um, I'd say the last thing that people notice about this deck, or, or maybe the first, depending on who you are, is that it's uh, currently rated at 78 SAS mm. on decks of Keyforge, which means it's um, not a competitive deck. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, that, that would certainly be the, um, the, the general community context of looking at numbers and saying what could top eight of alt tour a 78 now we've seen a couple 78 shout out to uh, magic duck who i hung out at philly with made top eight with a 70 something deck but generally speaking you're absolutely right people will look at it go 78 ah you're not going to do anything crazy with this right sure yeah totally not true at all (laughs) yeah the more the more sets come out and the more the more things uh, the more things like Becky happen, hopefully the the wider uh, the wider that range of you know what could possibly top eight uh, a vault tour a vault tour becomes right. Um, so those are the things people notice. And so June, what's what's unique? I know every deck is unique, right? Quote unquote. But uh, to you, June, from from your seat as the pilot of Becky, what is unique 
about Becky? It's really tough because I so many of the lessons I draw from Becky are applicable to other decks. Mm. But I suppose what's unique about Becky is that she bursts in all three houses, right? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you've got Logos burst with um, like repeating Lethalogica or using Mutagenic Serum. Um, you've got Shadows burst by, you know, one last job stealing five amber or you've got star alliance burst um you know sometimes you're just jamming a, a few uh, upgrades and you make four six amber and other times you um play all those upgrades multiple times and you make 24 amber <laughs> that's 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 uh that's a lot of amber to make yeah. um yeah bursting being able to to burst like crazy in every house is um that is that is a very strong threat from a deck right you can do it in any house if people are you know if you've got um if they're trying to shenaniganize you right with uh uh playing around with what houses you can play i mean sometimes that'll still you know shut a deck down but being able to burst in any house whatever your situation is that's um that's a strong position strong position to be in yeah it's um, made stronger by the fact that it has a uh, I would say, like, nearing, like, a critical mass of efficiency, okay. right? Um, yeah. Like, efficiency, like, kind of improves your other cards, right? And if your other mm -hmm. cards are also <laughs> efficiency, you're reaching a point where, like, you're, you're not just, um, you don't just have speed, you have acceleration, right? Yeah, sure. Sure, um, that that speed multiplying multiplying itself, especially between the pure draw efficiency you have here in Becky, and then also the archiving, which uh, lets you not just take cards and keep cards in your hand, but strate strategically stash cards away for whatever your big move is going to be later. And that's a that's a pretty critical combination. Like like you said, it re starts to reach a critical mass. Yes, because that combined with having burst in all three houses means that potentially you're sorting, I used to joke, um, and this is kind of still how I play Becky, that um, Becky is broken because she sorts her cards into three separate piles <laughs> what? over the course of a game. I love that. What are what are the three piles Becky sorts her cards into? <laughs> um, so when I first started playing, it was Shadows in the Archives, um, okay. Star Alliance, and the hand or discard and then logos on the board okay okay that's fantastic yeah uh so shadows in the archive uh that sounds like that's probably playing uh mainly towards that one last job play if you're unfamiliar with one last job uh rare shadows action it says purge each friendly shadows creature steal one amber for each creature purged to this way no alpha no anything like that you can just play cards exhausted purge them um and then that's another kind of efficiency if becky wants to start uh looping cards right it <laughs> also has a drop no shadows oh and the one last job has a draw pip okay that's uh that's pretty great that's pretty great so you've got the the logos on the board. So that looks like uh, three Cronus. There's a Dinobutt, a Mun, uh, a Dinobutt. Wow. <laughs> There's a Dinobot. Those those are the kinds of things that in editing I'm like, oh, that might stay in. Um, uh, a Dinobot, a Munchling, a Quixo, and a Titan Engineer. Uh, there are, it looks like there's a, there's four draw pips on, uh, spread out on all these creatures. You've got one on the Fission Bloom, on the Fission Bloom as well. Um, 
and then your star alliance you've got uh three three draw pips uh three draw pips as well so you've talked about these these piles that you you kind of learned about how becky wants to sort her cards uh what when when you opened becky and started playing with becky what did your early play experiences look like as you started to discover all these things becky wanted to and could do um so some may know that I opened Becky in a, a four-person sealed pod. Mm. And so I played three games with Becky. And I think in those three games, I called Shadows maybe twice. Um, and those were my early play experiences. It was just like, oh, this, this Shadows house is terrible. I'm going to stow it away. You know? Right. That, sure. was, that was the <laughs> idea. And like for the most part, like half the cards are quite bad. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, um but uh so those experiences were um just archive as much as i can and try to try to only archive shadows um, or you know say star alliance cards i maybe didn't want to see but often i would sure. just keep them around yeah. um and that proved to be quite powerful like i even at that point i was joking with my friends like oh becky's like 78 ass but like we'd be talking about like borrowing decks or potentially like um doing like six deck formats like hexad and like which decks are we going to bring mm. and they want to list everything in archetypes i'm like i don't know what uh, becky is just becky just wins games like that's <laughs> that's the archetypes <laughs> right <laughs> um and uh a lot of my early experiences were just um trying to maximize efficiency and yeah like sort out cards get myself to two houses and then just use that efficiency to close out a close out a game, right? Yeah. Right. So uh, that sounds like it's it's one of Becky's win conditions, right? Archive an entire house and use use the other two houses. What what do Becky's kind of win conditions? What do Becky's win conditions look like? Like how does Becky uh, close out a game once you've used your efficiency, you've set yourself up? What's what's the what's the winning move, or what are some of the winning moves that Becky can pull off? There are several, uh, turns out. Um, I think I've started to characterize Becky as having four or five different game plans. Wow. Um, and those are mainly different archiving strategies. Sure. Um, but like they tend to be better or worse for different um, finishing hoops, as you would call right. them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like to use as much um, like classic anime fight terminology in my yeah. keyforge terminology as i can <laughs> yeah um so yeah that first one the classic was just yeah you can stow away your shadows forever right. and then first i think it was seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10 11 amber and five or six amber stolen um which is a good burst pretty it's yeah. pretty decent first yeah i i'd say i'd say yeah. <laughs> um so that tends to be a win condition um just just huge swing um enough to you know it's like almost a three key swing mm -hmm. um and so that that tends to be quite powerful and if you time it right or uh wait certain things out like um types of uh, amber control that might deal with 11 amber gained uh, then it's just it's almost you know from an equal position it's is it's not easy to deal with um right. 
The uh, second win condition I found was um, archiving cards away and then using the, uh, well, honestly, just as the, se the second thing I found was that I could reduce my deck down enough so that I could play Lethalogica almost every turn, mm. um, which meant that with Vision Bloom, I'm gaining four Amber every turn. Oh, because that Lethalogica comes with a pip by default and then is enhanced with one in Fission mm -hmm. Bloom, the artifact that'll double those bonus pips for sure. Yeah. Yep. And as we know from Treasure Map or Commune, like sometimes gain four is just good enough. Um, right. Plus I get to do other stuff like Archive yep. with Autovac or, you know, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, Lethalogica draws a card in Logos, right? Um, so that proved to be quite good. Just like a, uh, a steady powerful amber gain um, is another planet has um turns out mutagenic serum is really good with um i think it's four five six seven mutants mm -hmm. um you know seven mutants is not a lot for mutants as far as we know and like mass mutations right but reaping for five or six extra amber is certainly worth an artifact yes yes yeah. a, the artifact mutagenic serum and then uh, sv3 lander from winds of exchange um are cards that i never see a whole lot of buzz around in online spaces but then you get absolutely smashed by a mutant board that gets to be used two or three turns in a row to just reap out for check every turn and it's the same thing with sv3 lander if you you know, don't blow up that uh, that token board. They're just getting to use them in back-to-back -back turns. So, yeah, those those artifacts carry a lot of value, and I could I could see that being the case here for sure. Yeah, really powerful if I'm allowed to keep the board. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even Mutagenic Serum for two creatures makes it, you know, a three amber gain, which is right. a good card. You know, we like yeah. those. No, that's a very good card. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good card. That's a... Yeah, that, that's a very good, that's some very good math where um, there's, you know, other other games that are a little more uh, specific and quantitative with their, their card values, right? And you can talk about above rate, below rate, uh, especially in things like flesh and blood. You can do a little bit of math and uh, call a card good or bad, kind of off the cuff at least, uh, just based on its math. But looking at the mutagenic serum math where it comes with a pip and if it gets you two more amber, that's three amber for, for one card. Uh, and with Omni, there's very little setup cost, right? Uh, just getting those, getting uh, mutants to, to stick to the board. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So in that plan, I tend to, uh, it actually has affected all of my plans. I tend to uh, archive my mutants last because it's mm. like, I get a little bit of extra, uh, um, extra ability. Like or when I'm like playing a creatures, they are the ones I'll be able to, to uh, house cheat with. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That um, makes a lot of sense. One of those lessons that took a while to learn if it was worth it and to learn when it's worth it. Right. Um, I would say the, what is that? Two, two plans, three plans, the, or three win conditions. The fourth win condition right. is, uh, lethalogica loops within the same turn. Okay. Um, and so you can fission bloom the first lethalogica gain four amber. Uh, if you've got no deck then or like or if you draw through your entire deck with Lethalogica, right you play a drop hip maybe draw it if you have no deck you definitely draw it 
um, right. play another draw pip, draw it, uh, reap with Dinobot, draw it again. Um, nice. <laughs> often playing for two, three, four times in a row okay. in the same turn, which is uh, including Fission Bloom, generally about like six, eight amber. Wow. Nice. It's a, it's a good, good win yeah. condition. And you oh, can do it yeah, again. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say the uh, the fourth win condition I found was um, was actually very similar. It is kind of the same thing. Um, mm. It was just uh, I found a perhaps a better way to do it um, using my creatures with draw pips like Titan Engineer um, mm-hmm. and Cronus with a um, with bouncing death quark. So if you if you think Lethalogica, Cronus with two draw pips, right. Titan Engineer, that's four draw pips on three cards. Yeah. And or uh four draws on three cards, because Lethalogica yeah. draws. Okay. Um and yep. then bouncing yep. death quark is your fourth card. So you just kind of can go infinite if you draw them in the right order. Right. As right. long as you draw your Cronus before the uh, BDQ you'll you'll loop okay. every time so oh, that is very cool it's basically a 50 50 um to loop again and again and again but you always get to do it at least twice which is right great. um wow <laughs> i've uh generally i expect to do it about four or five times sure um sure that is where um becky was when i went to philly um now I was also aware that there was the ability to rule of six in Star Alliance. Okay. <laughs> However, it was kind of just a thing that happened when you had already won the game and all your cards were in your hand, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, bit of a win more move. Yeah, bit of a win more move. And also, like at that point, I was still playing burst plans, still pushing for for keys at the same pace as my opponent. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it happened maybe one in 20 games. Sure. Maybe less. Um, and then Philly happened. I, um, you know, I missed my <laughs> round. And, you know, things happened. And, uh, sure, I sure. didn't move on in, the, in there. But um, I went home and I did what I would always do to make myself feel better. I played Becky. And uh, I was like, okay, she's still great. I played um, a game called Slay the Spire. Which I have oh, yes. um, played a lot. It's I played a lot before. I probably have a, I don't know how many art, but um, in Slay the Spire, um, Slay the Spire is a computer um, deck building roguelike game. So every mm-hmm. every run, which is maybe about like an hour of play, um, you are crafting a deck. Sometimes you get worse. Sometimes you get better. Sometimes improving your cards. Right. Um, to get to the end. Um, and uh, over, uh, as, as you progress, you go through what are called ascensions and basically increase the difficulty. And at higher difficulties, you start to find that, um, you know, like thinning your deck and uh, having like a true game plan for every card in your deck and like mm. what a turn looks like mm-hmm. starts to, be, to become necessary, right? Yeah. And not only that, but planning for like what comes next. Cause you know, that certain enemies pop up on certain floors 
or you can tell what the boss is that you're going to fight and you know what they're going to need. You're going to need to deal with them. Right. Right. And I started to think about that in the context of Becky and I said, okay, well, what if I start crafting my deck throughout the game um, to, to make it so that like, I never actually want to pick up my archives. I'm not archiving my good cards ever, ideally. Um, mm. And um, that, uh, that resulted in something I called the cantrip exodia for one. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, which is just uh, not, not, not truly that, but um, kind of just ridiculous. It's where every card in my deck draws a card, right? Uh, you reach a point where, like, mm. you, just, you just do a ton of stuff every turn. Um, that, was, that was really good. Um, and, you know, so you could keep a couple cards uh, in your deck that um, were, like, key against your opponent. Say your opponent has a bunch of artifacts. You know, mm -hmm. you keep borrow in there or you keep lights out in there. Um, right. And if you're keeping lights out, you probably keep the look over there so you can you know, steal a little mm -hmm. bit on the same turns and deal a little sure. bit more damage. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it sounds like the, the, the game plan with this kind of <laughs> slay the spire move is to just archive everything. Like you said, everything that's not drawing so that every turn you're just always drawing and always hitting gas no matter what. Yeah, it's something a lot of people try to do in Slay the Spire is like go infinite, right? Right. And I was like, right. that's cool. Yeah. That's fun. Um, <laughs> it also like the idea of, you know, over the course of a game uh, in Slay the Spire, like a run, planning for what comes next and making your deck like work for that, right? And um, so it made me start thinking about Becky in a whole new way, um, like really start thinking through my archives a lot, a lot stronger i stopped archiving single house at that point started like mm. archiving across houses um a lot more yeah um just because yeah i'm trying to archive my bad cards away um, it's like in, and because i'm an avid slay the spire player okay. as well and you start with a very small deck mm -hmm. becky is kind of a an an inverse where you're starting with a 36 card deck and the abundance of archives uh, just lets you take cards out, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, as as you can to choose what to take out as the game goes on for uh, towards some end game plan, mostly based around draw and like you said, keeping just whatever whatever answer you want to hold on to. I love that. Yeah, and I don't know why I'd never made that connection before. Mm. Um, like I have so many hours in Slay the Spire, I have so many hours in Keyforge. Yeah, I never thought like, oh, let's play like this. Um, I guess I just have enough experience with Becky knowing that like there's a lot of different things you can do with her. Like let's let's see if we can do this one. And like first game, like I reached like the cantrip exodia, which was I don't I don't know. It was just seemed fun to like be able to draw a card with every card. Um and I realized that like going for towards that plan also accelerated the deck enough that I could reduce my deck to the point where that star alliance infinite mm -hmm. which um i'll describe for our viewers who don't know yeah um, listeners who don't know is uh involves uh armory officer now which is a mm -hmm. star alliance creature which uh enhances with the drop hip um anytime an, an upgrade enters play the owner of armory officer now draws a card um and uses that with this series of 
uh, upgrades, um, I believe three unique upgrades, uh, blast shielding, access denied, and um, observe you max. There's also a explorer rover that doesn't give you amber, so I don't like that one. Um, <laughs> by playing all three of those on a creature, you gain three amber and draw three cards. Now, if you use a card like Hadron Collision, for example, um, then you potentially destroy that creature, sending it and all of its upgrades into your discard. And it has a draw pep, so you also draw a card. Um, so it is self it is self-sufficient as well. Um and um but then you're you're stuck, right? Like your your upgrades are in the discard, and so is your Hadron Collision. Um except that I have another action in Star Alliance that also has a drop, which is Xeno Training. Mm -hmm. Xeno Training um, gains you an Amber and allows you to capture one for each house uh, of creature you control. Yeah. So in addition to being able being an action that draws me back in, does let me play on another vector while I'm doing this. So it allows me to control Amber and gains me a, a bit more too um, right. while I loot this. So I, with that card, loop back into the those cards I just discarded, uh, right. all those upgrades. Um, so the practical effect of which is that I can destroy six three-powered creatures, gain 24 amber, and capture between six and 18 amber. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. It's, and is... Is, is this the move that uh, I was while I was watching the Rose to, uh, Roseville Vault Tour online? I think, and I'm sure this has started with you, but calling this Exodia was this the it, it was this specifically the Exodia move, or this is, is one it. of the this is it? Excellent, yeah, excellent. And what uh, for our listeners who perhaps did not grow up um, uh, watching Yu Gi Oh on their Saturday mornings, what is Exodia from Yu Gi Oh the TV show and card game? Uh, so Exodia from Yu-Gi-Oh is, um, is a series of five cards. There are different pieces of Exodia who's like some forbidden god, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, they're terrible. They're just like, they don't do anything really. Except <laughs> if you play all five out on the, on the same board, then you just, you just win the game. It just says right. you win the game, right? That's right, it. right. Like on the cards, right? Yeah. It's not like you do a bunch of damage. It just says yeah. you win. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And yeah, and so looking at this as Exodia with like finding your five pieces and putting them all together and then, uh, you know, winning through, you know, mechanics and gaining amber and stuff. But that is a very fun comparison, a very fun comparison. Yeah. So, yeah, there's exactly five cards that are required for it, um, mm. which are the Hatron Collision, Xeno Training and those three upgrades. Um, that also means you need to have five cards left in your deck to do it. This is me tipping my hat off for a little people who don't like to do math. Sure. <laughs> um, but having five cards in your deck allows allows you to do it or discard. Um, right. um, now there's another piece to it. Um, daughter mm -hmm. uh, comes in help. Um, I have a daughter Maverick into Star Alliance mm. that comes with a damage pip and a draw pip, which means that in cases where i need it can play into rule of six because it is right. also self-sufficient um so in a case where my opponent doesn't play any creatures because they know about exodia i can play the daughter and that becomes the targets of the the hadron collision right 
Um, so I don't even need my enemy to have a board because that would actually be a problem otherwise, especially sure. if I, you know, people start knowing the deck and start playing around that. Right. <laughs> um, uh, it also comes with a damage pip. So that means four power creatures on my enemy's board are now also targets. Right. Um, potentially five power creatures if I get a couple loops in. Um, yeah, it opened, that opens up a lot of possibilities as well. That's fantastic. And I love I love that your inspiration for kind of finding the new loop, right, the new end game here came especially from Slay the Spire because uh, are you familiar with the, um, it's the kind of six degrees of separation thing. Are you familiar of uh, how Slay the Spire and Keyforge are connected through a couple of those? No. So Slay the Spire is created by, uh, one of the co-creators is Anthony uh, Giovanetti, who goes by Stimhacked online. Stimhacked is both the name of his uh, blog and I believe podcast for the card game Android Netrunner. Yes, Android Netrunner. So a big, uh, so Anthony, a big, um, you know, uh, content creator presence in the Android Netrunner community made Slay the Spire, you know, out of his love for for card games. And of course, Android Netrunner published by FFG, uh, and that ended a few years before, uh, a few years before Keyforge, before Keyforge came onto the scene through FFG. So there's a bit of a, <laughs> there's a bit of a card game, card game world connection there through, through Stimhacked and Anthony. And Keyforge and Netrunner both designed by Andrew Garfield. That's right. Yes. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, both designed by Richard Garfield. Uh, you can hardly throw a deck box across the room without hitting a card game designed by Richard Garfield in at least its first or second iteration <laughs> these days. As far as I know, the amazing Spider-Man actor has not made a card game. I apologize for saying <laughs> Andrew Garfield. You're not the first person to uh, to accidentally say Andrew Garfield. And the funny thing is, I, I used to have a Richard Garfield Google alert, and Andrew Garfield, the actor, his father is Richard Garfield, oh. not the card game designer, simply the the father of <laughs> the actor. <laughs> yeah. So lots of, uh, lots of fun crosswires there for Spider-Man and card games. So... Um, so I, I love that. That is, um, a fantastic, a, a fantastic learning process for Becky, even going back and thinking again about how to use that efficiency and what to aim towards. Like what is, what is, uh, you know, what is a, a ideal deck state look like and how to get there. So from, from your experiences, June, which turned into a vault tour win, practicing with Becky and then taking another look at Becky, even after Philadelphia before Roseville, um, how would you encourage other Keyforge players to look at their deck, maybe using a mindset or principles you use to learn on Becky so that they can, that they can unlock that next level of a deck they're playing? Well, how would you encourage them to go about that? Yeah, like continue to like reassess your strengths especially in things you have agency over right um mm. things like when you hold cards um uh, uh when you archive cards what kind of cards you're archiving um the way you're handcrafting these things are all all kind of unique deck to deck yeah um and it just requires practice like I, i've talked about this but um specifically i don't consider a deck playable until i've played it 50 times Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. Which is like pale in comparison to how much I've played Becky, but like that's because she's, she rules. But right. uh, 
you know, I don't think every deck is capable of uh, the kind of like exacting, like uh, branching paths that Becky is. I think mm. there are many decks that are. Um, I think cards like Ultra Gravitron and now Strange Shells, Auto Encoder, um, all do things like that. And, um, you know, we see people playing those cards, pulling their archives. Um, but, you know, we've also seen people like ramp up and accelerate, like I said, using Ultra Gravitron to just play it over and over again. Um, so there are certainly decks with um, the possibility of reaching game plans similar to Becky's. Mm. But I think just every deck, um, you know, you play into, if you play into enough different kinds of matchups, you start to just understand what you're supposed to do um, when you sit across the table from a, and you start inspecting somebody's Archon card. Um, and that's really it. Like, um, I don't practice too much against what people would call, like, you know, Voltor winning decks, you know, the big, the big ones, the ones that sure. people uh, dare not speak the name of <laughs> uh, uh, for fear of facing them in round one. Uh, right. Right. I don't practice too much against those. I, I mean, if I run into them, you know, I'll play them for sure. I'm not going to turn that out. But um, I find the most joy in facing new people on um, the Crucible and getting new experiences of totally different decks. Because um, that's the thing about Keyforge is you never really know what to expect, especially with decks that yeah. you haven't played. Um, you know, like it's just seeing how much a deck that I have played has changed. Like certainly there is something um, unexpected that can happen across the table and getting like a breadth of experiences, um, you know, t teaches you what to look out for. <laughs> like that's truly the, the, uh, the best way I think is just to learn what your deck does and doesn't like learn, um, at what point are you too far behind for catch up? Uh, um, like for me, that's, that was an incredibly important point. Like I talked about, uh, this with my friend MetaOps, where, yeah, I made Exodia, but like that didn't, didn't mean I could like put the deck down and then go to Roseville and win. Right. Um, because having a powerful tool, having a secret weapon, um, is actually worst if you don't know when to use it. Wow. Um, wow. I think. Because if you're just trying to do the crazy long game plan every time, you'll get stuck. You want to get there. It's just, it, it takes practice to learn how much tempo you need. And, you know, to assess. So I find myself assessing with Becky every game, every turn. Like, can I hold my archives? Uh, can I ever reach... Uh, like the five cards in, in hand and discard um, by the end of this game. And if not, then I have to start reassessing how I'm archiving, right? And I think there are similar lessons you can learn with your deck's game plan and how far behind you are on tempo. And those are things you can best learn by practice and just a breadth of experience. Amazing. Amazing. I loved what you started off with there and then expounded upon with the practicing a lot. Uh, can uh, continue to continue to assess 
your strengths, especially the ones you have agency over, right? That is, you know, that speaks to to some critical thinking and like reflection time on saying, you know, what did this deck do? What did it not do? How did my choices affect it? Because one of the biggest lessons for me as I grew as a player was instead of saying, oh, I just didn't get the cards I needed. That's why I lost. I moved on from that. I thought that way for a while and I moved on from that and said, well, what if I had held a card here? Or what if I hadn't held that card because I was just tempted by this two card combo I knew was in there, which isn't even a secret weapon and was still ruining my games, right? Because I didn't know how to even use a two card combo. Exactly. and how can how can you say okay was this truly a loss where it just it wasn't winnable maybe it was it was sealed especially it just wasn't winnable but having that be a thought you only rest on and arrive to that it wasn't winnable once you have thoroughly pressure tested everything you had agency over yeah right? everything you had agency over and that's how you're going to get to that next level um, and one of my absolute favorite things about Keyforge is that so many of my decks, if not most of my decks, perhaps, right? Um, I am not good enough either at Keyforge or that deck specifically to play it to its maximum potential yet, right? And that is the most exciting thing. I purchased a deck on the secondary market and was talking with an acquaintance about it, and they said, Oh, I saw that deck and I didn't buy it because there, it's too complicated, the skill ceiling's too high. And I went, that's why I purchased it <laughs> because mm-hmm. every time I pick up this deck, I know I can learn something and yeah. get better. And it's going to be such a complicated decision tree that like I have uh, not technically infinite, but a almost unknowably vast amount of decisions I can make with this deck. It's a dark tidings deck with a whole lot of wacky archive and recursion and, and, you know, Evil Twin, Witch of the Dawn, and Double Forgive or Forget. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So just so an, many insane, paths. Yeah. an insane amount of branching paths just based on those uh, four cards in the deck, right? Yeah. So um, I, I love that. Continue to assess your strengths, especially the ones you have a lot of agency over. Um, and then having a secret weapon. Having a secret weapon uh, is going to be a bad thing if you don't know how to use it because you're just going to be distracted by the fact you have a secret weapon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I really like what you said about um, being interested in the deck because it could teach you things. Yeah. And I think that was something I felt in Keyforge really early. Um, mm. I identified in, in the first set that Mars was my first house in that set, my uh, favorite house in that set. Nice. And uh, I had played good Mars and I couldn't really identify what it was. I mean, we were all new to the game. What it was that made those pods tick. Um and so I started buying decks and I just, you know, things that looked interesting. Yeah. Um, and I treated each one as, you know, another lesson until I ended up on, um, you know, my first Keyforge Love, Steadfast Stone Pilot, uh, which is a deck that goes crazy with Brainstem Antenna and John Smith and just reaps for 18. It's great. Right. Um, <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, and I think, you know, starting to treat decks as things that not only make you better at playing them, but better at playing Keyforge, um, you know, has a lot of value. I think Becky has made me better at Keyforge, not just Becky. Wow. Wow. And now you and Becky have won a Vault Tour together. <laughs> Vault Tour champions, June and Becky. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the last thing I would say is that the decks that you 
buy and think are like that look crazy. It looks look incredible. Um, and then you play them and they're wonky and janky. And you said, oh, it's actually not as good as I thought. Play those decks again, please. For the yes. love of God, play those decks again. Those are the those are the decks that will teach you. Those are the decks that have lessons for you. Those are the decks that are way better than you're giving them credit for. Um, there's this deck I um, am really interested in. I probably won't end up with it, but it's an auto-encoder deck um, with a ton of draw pips everywhere, mm-hmm. but its only forms of amber control are two Anthony's. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. Where, Talk about weird. <laughs> where those Anthony's are and like specifically destroying your own Anthony so um, that you can refresh it and get to the next one when you need to. Um, so strange and important. The first time I played the deck, I was like, oh, I just can't, I just can't interact with my opponent most times. But, um, you know, you start to learn like, oh, how am I, what, like, what do I want my archives? How do I manage these, these two tools I have, uh, once I have like incredible control over my deck. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's such a picture of, of having a deck that's, you know, probably pretty good or you see some promise in it or it's just exciting and then you go, oh, this is weird, and it didn't work, so it's now not good. But like you said, I didn't even think about it. When to blow up your own Anthony, which, uh, if you're unfamiliar, just six-power uh, Star Alliance creature that captures all your opponent's amber when it's played, and then slowly drips it back to your opponent. Uh, and like knowing when to blow it up so you could cycle it later, I, w- I hadn't even... As you said, two Anthony's, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not a lot. But you'd have to know when to blow it up so that you could then go get it back later. And that takes such, such just foresight and yep. just learning what what do I need later in the game and how do I how do I prep for that now? Yeah, right. and I think foresight is something, you know, um, foresight is thought becomes foresight becomes instinct, you know, just keep training, keep practicing mm-hmm. and like. Like, it'll take you less time to make those decisions. You know, I find myself, again, like those, those practice games help me to get through Swiss so I could get to the, um, the finals. And I, that's where I had infinite time and I could play my best. Right. But, um, learning how to manage your time comes with practice for sure. There are a lot of decks I would love to play, um, in tournaments, but I think are too slow, but that's because I haven't practiced them enough. Right. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. June, well, thank you uh, so much for coming on KPR. Really appreciate, appreciate your time and your willingness to, to dive into, to Becky and, and everything Becky has taught you. I think that was uh, one of my favorite things to talk with you about just talking about how a deck can teach us more about the deck and Keyforge. Mm-hmm. And then you go, and then you go to other decks. I'm feeling a little inspired myself to go back to, I opened a, a, a very good, uh, winds of exchange deck with prospector and some other stuff that i played it and it was exactly what you said i'm like this is weird this is janky it doesn't exactly have these tools and uh you've just i had the thought but you repeated it and convinced me i'm like no i just need to practice that deck more because there's probably more to unlock there's yeah. probably more to unlock with that thing probably every puzzling trinket deck in the world <laughs> oh my gosh just also yes. yeah <laughs> That the yeah the 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 three or four decisions that you could make every time you play a pip gets pretty crazy, gets pretty crazy. Just the variety of things you can do. 
Awesome. June, thank you so much. I'm uh, so excited uh, to uh, to see you at Worlds, and I'm sure all of our listeners will be will be rooting for you at Worlds with that Archon invite that you've got uh, in just a few short months. Gosh, we're just over, I, uh, I think it's two and a half months away from oh, Keyforge's first World Championship, and that is super exciting, and I am, I am brilliantly happy that you have a you have a spot in that world championship and can't wait to see how you do well i hope to put on a show at least let's have fun there (laughs) i'm sure you will i'm sure you will all right thank you so much for having me this was awesome Thank you so much for joining us today here on Keyforge Public Radio, dear listener. Thank you so much to everybody who supports us on Patreon, especially our Airwave Advocate-level supporters like Paul Roadrunner. Uh, don't forget to check out the Keyforge Public Radio website for everything Keyforge and Keyforge Public Radio. We've got the blog, episodes, the merch store, everything like that. And like your radio dial, may your Keyforge skills always be well-tuned. <laughs> Visit KeyForgePublicRadio.com to find all of our episodes, transcripts, blog posts, the KPR store, and more. KeyForge Public Radio is made possible with support from listeners just like you, who believe in this game and this show. When you join the Patreon, you receive access to votes on content, sneak peeks, early knowledge of interviews, access to the Discord, and other benefits. So come on down, I'd be honored if you joined us. Follow KPR on any social media platform you frequent. Just search for Keyforge Public Radio, and we're probably there. This show is produced by Rooster High Productions, which is me. And remember, dear listener, the most important part of Keyforge is the person across the table. <laughs>